Welcome to our podcast. We hope that this content is a blessing for your life. Enjoy the message. dangerous world, this world that is full of challenges and full of uh, dangerous decisions that we need to make sometimes, things that we have to undertake full of fear, Um, and yet we decide to dance anyway, we decide to celebrate. Uh, The the, the image of this song, I I like it because, you know, it's it's a dynamic kind of uh, poetic imagery. It has uh, elements of love and of marriage and romance. But it also has the elements of danger, of effort, of a challenge, of taking radical decisions that that put us uh, at risk. And yet we go ahead anyway, because this power that God has given us is so extraordinary that we can undertake. There's a man who, um, Gary Collins, who wrote about big, hairy, audacious goals, BHAGs. And he says that, you know, we have to take uh, sometimes in our life, we have to adopt big, hairy, audacious goals, things that intimidate us, Uh, uh, tasks and um, undertakings that when we think about them, they terrify us, but we take them. And I don't know that Collins is a believer, but certainly if anybody can take a BHAG on, it's a believer, it's a Christian who lives in the power of the resurrection. And that's what I want to talk about. Sam, uh, Pastor Sam earlier um, read from Mark chapter 16, the story of um, the two women who um, went over to the tomb. And let me just read it quickly. Uh, it says that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? You know, those kinds of questions, the Bible is full of them. When the angel tells Mary, a virgin, a very young woman, unmarried, you're going to have God's creation, God's son, God's um, anointed one. She was a virgin, unmarried, and she says, how how will this be? You know, God is always uh, posing great uh, tasks to us. He's calling us to undertake great things in his name. He's uh, trying to impregnate us with um, extraordinary possibilities. And, And our mind, our reason, looks around, looks at circumstances, and experiences doubt. And we ask ourselves, how, how, how will this be possible? Haven't you ever conceived of something? Right now, for example, there's, there's something in my mind, in my life that I've undertaken and that I've uh, promised myself that I will achieve. It's a big thing. It's a scary thing. And I do ask myself, wow, is this going to be possible? How, how, will, how will God bring together the different circumstances to make it possible? Because humanly, it doesn't seem very likely. So, you know, these two women, they're going over to um, the tomb, and they're asking themselves, because they know there's a stone that had been put there when Jesus was buried, how are we going to open the tomb in order to anoint the body of our, quote-unquote, dead Savior? 
But when they looked up, they get to the, the entrance of the tomb. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, and that's put there for a reason, no? had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And by the way, Matthew says that in another version, there was a, an angel sitting on top of the stone that had been rolled away. They were alarmed. They, they, he was sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But the angel says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. Yes, but he has risen. Praise the Lord. That's why we are here this morning. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. And isn't the Christian life about telling people that the stone has been rolled away? That the Lord is no longer in the place of death. Go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. I guess the angels' uh, words of don't be alarmed didn't quite succeed. They went, fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And Many times we, we fail. The Lord calls us to, you know, go announce the truth, live aggressive Christian lives. And instead, we are intimidated by the secular world. We're intimidated by, if you do this, you're going to offend, etc., etc. But the call of the Lord is so much uh, different, so much more radical. And that therein lies the, the, this dancing in the minefields. We are called to be aggressive followers, expressors of the word of Jesus in the midst of uh, sometimes a, a hostile world and hostile circumstances that intimidate us and tell us to be quiet. And that's what I want to talk about, about living in the power of the resurrection, dancing in the minefields and, and celebrating in the midst uh, of all the adverse circumstances that we face and living instead in that power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that the resurrection is the culminating event of all the drama of salvation from Genesis to that moment uh, in the tomb where these women experienced. All of history, all of uh, Scripture has been building up to this uh, culmination of the resurrection of Christ. And without that resurrection, really, um, Jesus would just be another martyr, another religious genius, somebody who's a, an ethical and spiritual master, but that would be it, like, like Buddha, like uh, Confucius, uh, like Muhammad. Jesus be, would be one more religious, illuminated man. But the disciples uh, saw it differently. They, the disciples knew that Jesus, number one, was resurrected, and the Bible is full of uh, instances where Jesus gave um, evidence of that. You know, and they were so into the resurrection. They knew that the resurrection was sort of the, the linchpin. It was the, the essential element of the Christian narrative. And that they had to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Because that's what made him different. 
Because no other person, even, you know, when you look at Confucius or, or Muhammad or Buddha, they, they, none of them um, sort of claimed that they were uh, resurrected. As a matter of fact, for example, the, the, the Muslims, Islam is very clear in saying, you know, no, uh, uh, Muhammad was not, he was just a man. That's all. He died and, and that was it. But only the, only the disciples, only the Christians claim that their master, the originator of their religion, their faith, was resurrected. And this is why when, when um, Judas betrayed Jesus, there were 11 appointed disciples left. And, and they wanted to respect the fact that it, there was 12 disciples that Jesus had anointed and appointed. And they, they sought a, a tw- somebody else to replace Judas, a 12th disciple. And in Acts 1.22, it says that they were looking for someone to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. That was the distinctive quality that they were looking in that 12th Apostle. And the Bible says that those apostles, apostles should all, it, it, it sort of implies that they should have been um, witnesses of the resurrected Christ at some point or other. And uh, this was of central importance to them. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 says that if Christ is not risen, if Christ is not resurrected, then vain is our preaching. See? We can say all the wonderful ethical and spiritual things, but if it doesn't have the guarantee, the seal of the resurrection, then our faith, our preaching is vain, and our faith is also vain. Now, not only is the resurrection a historical fact, not only the resurrection looks back upon something that happened in history that is there as a, as a fact, but it also has implications about the future. Because it guarantees that we also, in the future, when we die or on the day of judgment or on the day when Christ comes again, we too will experience a resurrection one way or another. Either our bodies will be transformed or if we're in the grave, our bodies will be resurrected as well and transformed in the very image of Christ, resurrected, powerful. I think it was... uh, um, Brandt, who was talking about the fact that, you know, the, the resurrected Jesus had powers that he did not sort of ex, ex, uh, express when he was uh, in the flesh before he was resurrected. He could move. He could be simultaneously in different places. He could go through walls. Um, and, you know, we will have that glorious body, not limited at all to time, space, physical laws, uh, death, and um, deterioration. Our bodies also. So, you know, not only do we look to the resurrection as uh, historical proof, we look to the resurrection also as a future thing that we ourselves will experience. And by the way, that is so important that we not lose awareness of um, the resurrection of our bodies, that glorious day, that blessed hope, the Christians call it. Because I think in our time, the church has lost this uh, sense of, you know, the, the, the resurrection in the future. We're, we're, we're sort of uh, told that if we think too much about pie in the sky, as people say, you know, we're not realistic, we're not robust enough. And it's the very contrary. You know, what animates us, what enables us to undertake great things, to, to withstand the, the difficulties, the challenges, the diseases, and all the disappointments of this life is the fact that we know that one day there will be an end to all of that. Every tear will be dried from our eyes. Every disease will be stricken from us. 
And so we live also in the future, in the hope of that day when our bodies, when we die, or when the Lord comes, we will also experience the resurrection that Jesus, because his resurrection was simply the guarantee that we also will experience our own resurrection, you see. So the resurrection is also for the future as, as much as it is also evidence of something that happened in the past. The Bible says that by identifying with Christ, we are made, it says, partakers of his eternal resurrection. But you know what? The resurrection is not only important for the past, for our future, but what about the present, the life that we live and lead right now? And that is really what my main concern this morning, to dwell a little bit on the implications, to sort of the, the judicial consequences for our identity, for our status as uh, partakers of the resurrection. What does the resurrection mean for the present, for the here and now? Because the resurrection has profound consequences of how you, for how you and I live every day. The resurrection tells us how we can live in the power of God's life and anointing now in the present day. And, and Paul says, for example, that he wants to know Christ. And he wants to know him how? In the power of his resurrection. And Paul wasn't just wanting to kind of have abstract knowledge. No, he wanted to, to live and, and have that, that power of the resurrection to be part of his own substance and his own life. People, every believer, when you accept Christ, when you say yes to Jesus, I want you to understand that you enter into a different status. You enter into a new dimension you may be sitting here this morning, but you are sitting truly, spiritually, and effectively in the dimension of the resurrection. Amen. And for example, when I think of what the Bible says, that Jesus seated us alongside of him next to the throne of God, and he speaks in the past tense. We are sitting right now. You are sitting effectively, legally, judicially. You're not sitting here at 20 Reed Street, Boston. You are sitting right next to Christ, right next to God in heaven, in the power of Jesus Christ. You have a, a, that is your radical, real, foundational identity. And when you live and when you move, you are moving in that dimension. When you walk in this world, when you make decisions, when you deal with problems and challenges, you are dealing with them in the light of that identity that God has given you in the power of the resurrection. The, the resurrection is a symbol. It is the maximum symbol of the triumph of heaven over everything that is negative. Death is the highest representative of the darkness and the fallenness of this world. God told Adam and Eve, when you disobey me, you will die. And that's exactly what happened to them. Death entered into their existence. The world itself, a pall, came over creation. And death reigned. And death sort of 
impacts and infects everything that we do. The, the fall is there every time we walk in this sad world. All the things that we suffer, the inconveniences of, of uh, life, all the struggles, all the unpleasantness is the result of that death that fell as a consequence of sin. But the resurrection, the resurrection stands in opposition, in radical opposition to that radical reality of death in the world, and it represents the power of God to overcome the darkness, to overcome death, to overcome inertia, to overcome uh, that, that law that says that everything deteriorates, everything sort of leads toward chaos, which is one of the key laws of physics, supposedly. When we live in the resurrection, we're living against everything that characterizes this world. The resurrection said, hey, death is no longer master. There's a new sheriff in town. Jesus has come Amen. that we might have life and that we, we might have it all abundantly. Darkness was defeated in the resurrection of Jesus. This is why Paul triumphantly asked, where, all oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, grave, is your victory? You know, we, we are living now in the power of life, not the power of death. Jesus established that precedent for us. And since then, since that moment when Jesus is resurrected, every believer in him enters into his identity, his resurrected identity. We now live and move in a new dimension, the luminous dimension of the resurrection. Colossians 1, 12 and 13 says that the Father qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has freed us from the power of darkness and transferred us, notice that word, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. How many know that you have been transferred to the kingdom of Jesus Christ? You know, we know about the, you know, legal status versus real, you know, ontological, if you will, status. There's a difference. Sometimes you may, you, your, your, your physical status, may, people may assign to you a status of inferiority or, or, or um, incompetence or fallenness or failure. You know, that is the status that people ascribe to you. But another thing is the status that you have in Jesus Christ. That's your real status. This Father who has adopted you, who has loved you, who has given you a new name, a new identity, and you, you live in that identity, and it's your choice. Which one are you going to accept? The identity that the, the world ascribes to you or the identity that you know you have in Jesus Christ? This is the challenge. This is the question. Ephesians chapter 1 declares that we have been blessed by the Father with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. These are glorious scriptures and promises. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says that the Father, that the same glorious power that raised Christ from the dead now operates in us who believe. We need to, we need to fill our consciousness our minds with that glorious power. You know, this is something radical. The same power operates in us. And we'll see in a moment how important it is to understand that and to make it a part of our awareness. And yet, when you look around at the life of so many believers, and I say this lovingly, respectfully, 
for many followers of Christ, this, this wonderful news that we have been made new, that we inhabit this glorious resurrection dimension, that, that wonderful news has yet to sort of break out into our consciousness. Our mind has not made the, the necessary adjustments because our life has often so marked us with um, a deficient mentality, an outlook, an identity, that when we come into this new legal status uh, as uh, partakers of the resurrection power, we don't make the necessary, the required uh, adjustment to our mind, to our outlook, to our disposition, to how we make decisions, how we live our lives. We're still in the old status of death and of sin. Many believers don't understand that the concrete implications of the resurrection for how to deal with lives, obstacles, and challenges uh, now uh, call us to do something very different. Uh, there are all these stones that, that get on our way as these women are looking at the stone. You know, we are kings. The Bible says that we are priests and kings. Reyes y sacerdotes. We have been made kings and priests by God. And yet, you know, many of us really live hand to mouth. We sort of, uh, um, you know, limp through life. Um, and and we, we waste, unfortunately, this, this glorious wealth that God has put into our hands. Mark 16, this, this chapter that we just read, you know, expresses us as only Scripture can in, in narrative, in, in beautiful literary imagery. Wonderful characters, these three women. You know, I love that they're three women, not men, not, uh, you know, the wealthy of the land, not the anointed, but women who are disregarded, who are taken for granted, who are disqualified, who are not supposed really to be participants in such a glorious narrative, actually main actors in the narrative of the resurrection, this glorious narrative that has occupied humanity's mind for thousands of years. And this, this chapter brings it all home. It reminds us that the resurrection has ushered in a new era of power and effectiveness for all believers, and that Jesus Christ now teaches us how to move in that power, how to dance in the minefields. There are three things that I'll quickly um, discuss with you. Number one, this passage tells us that the power of the resurrection, as I I've sort of outlined earlier, but I want to bring it now to full uh, clarity here. The power of the, resur the resurrection is already ours. Would you say with me, already? already. It is already ours. You see these women here, you know, they're, 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 they're sad they are intimidated. Their master has died. Brandt spoke about the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. You know, they thought their candidate was going to win the election. They were already seeing themselves, you know, in the office, the presidential office, occupying a couple of high positions. They, they, they were seeing all the, the things that... Uh, put them down, the Roman power, the, the insignificance of Israel, all of that changed overnight. The glory of David's kingdom was now going to be Israel's. They were celebrating, they were savoring, and all of a sudden, their master 
dies. And, you know, I, I assume that they were thinking, ah, yeah, but wait a minute. Don't worry. He's going to tear those nails and he's going to jump from the cross and he's going to kill all his enemies and he's going to take over and it's going to be all right. So they, they didn't think that even that was going to happen to him, right? But uh, when it happens, they're waiting and then nothing happens. And now they're returning to their village, which is, you know, how we return many times when we experience reversal of fortune. We return to our quotidian normal life thinking, ah, it was all a pipe dream. But, of course, we know that God had other plans. But these women are like that. They're, they're sad. The disciples are in hiding. I can only imagine their disappointment. And uh, they, these women do not know that their Savior has risen, that God had indeed a plan, and that He was just building up. You know how many times, you know, God loves, I've always said God loves a good plot. He's the master literary genius, and He, 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 he builds on the tension, the tension, the tension. I was uh, watching a documentary on Beethoven. And, and uh, one of the commentators in the documentary says that Beethoven, until that moment, nobody was able to build tension in a symphony um, as Beethoven was able to do. He could take a theme, a musical theme, and just elaborate it. And just when you felt, okay, the climax has been reached, now it's time for the denouement to go down again and to settle, he just built more tension, more and more tension, musical tension until... There would be that moment of climax. And you know, God is like that many times. Just when we think that things cannot get thicker, the plot cannot get more complex, you know, God is just getting started. And that's why we need a robust faith in our lives. Because many times, you know, there are things that happen to, to us that we think, ah, oh, man, I thought that this was going to be different. I thought that by now I would have done this, I would have achieved that, this would have happened, you know. And yet, you know, God is saying, hey, come on, don't sweat. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm going to get there, but I love, to, I love to elaborate things. I love to build. I, I want to make you stronger. I want to make you more resistant. If I give you an easy answer, you won't develop muscles. And so we have to get used to this God who has, you know, very complex ways of, of uh, building the narratives of our lives. We cannot lose sight of the fact that he has promised resurrection and victory and power. So these women, they haven't understood that. And, and so they think, yeah, I mean, he's dead. So all that we can do now is just go honor his body. We've got to prepare him for burial. We'll put spices and preservatives on his body. And we will say goodbye to our fallen master. They resemble so many godly people who love God, but who do not know the power that they have at their disposal as followers of Jesus. They do not remember this word of the scriptures. God has given us not a spirit of cowardice, but of power, of love, and a mind that thinks clearly. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not uh, carnal. They're not material. They're not political. They're not financial. They are weapons of light. They are effective for the destruction of principalities and powers. This is what God has for us. So many people are like Moses before the Red Sea. 
You know, there's this huge barrier in front of them, impenetrable. Behind them, the enemy is coming with all his might and his chariots. And so where do we go? What do we do? God promised us, you're going to go, and you're going to worship me outside of Egypt. Moses panics and starts praying wildly. And God says, hey, why are you humiliating yourself like that? You have a staff in your hand. Take that staff and hit the, the, the sea, and the sea will open before you. You know, we have a staff in our hands. It is the power of the resurrection. We have it. And sometimes we look around at life and we see all these challenges and we just focus on the challenges. We should focus on the staff. We should begin to walk in faith. We should begin to undertake great challenges in faith. Don't look at the enemy. Look at the power of God in your life. Elisha's servant, he sees the Syrians all around them. He sees their might. And, and Elisha says, God, open his eyes that he might see. And then when, when God opens supernaturally the eyes of the servant, he sees this powerful army with chariots all around them, ready to humiliate the enemy and to deliver them. And so we have, to, we have to keep our eyes on that other reality that is ever present and ever around us, the power of the resurrection. The women are fearful. They're wondering who will remove the stone. But hey, the stone has already been removed. For these women, it's Friday still, but really it is Sunday. It is the Sunday of the resurrection. Jesus Christ has risen. They are living in that reality even though they don't see it. They go to anoint a dead body that is totally and perfectly alive. And this stone is an, a symbol of everything that prevents us from triumph, from joy, from success, from effectiveness in life, everything that prevents us from access to the power of the resurrection. But as I said earlier, Matthew 28, 2 says that the angel came and, and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And this is a wonderful image of power over every obstacle. And all we need to do, as Ephesians 1 says, is to, for God to rewire uh, our minds so that we might be able to understand that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that moves within us. We may not feel that power. We may not see the circumstances change. But the power is there only for us to use it and to see the sea open before us. Secondly, this power of the resurrection operates by faith, not by sight. And this is key because if we allow the giant to intimidate us, then we will not undertake the journey to defeat him. And this is, this is so crucial for us to be able to live in the power of the resurrection. We have to understand it is mine, but sometimes, you know, life may not reveal that to me. You know, to their credit, these women, they, they go, they start walking. By faith, they, they do not know that the stone has been rolled away. They don't know how it's going to happen. And they could have stayed back home and said, hey, forget it. Uh, you know, we'll just have to wait until, you know, we get a crane and have it moved and then we can go. But they, they started walking by faith. You know, and this is, this is something that I wish we could all understand today. 
that, uh, you know, if we wait until we see things change, we might never get to those uh, victorious circumstances that God calls us to. All the obstacles that we face right now in our lives, they belong to that, the, that species of the stone that um, seems to prevent us from doing anything positively. You know, I remember almost uh, 30 years ago, it must have been like 1992 or so, um, when the, I had that dream about the Lion of Judah uh, over the city of Boston, and I knew that God was calling us to move from where we were in Cambridge into the city, and that we needed to find a building to relocate. You know, I was so clear on that. We didn't have a penny as a congregation in the bank. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any reserves. We were a relatively small congregation at that moment. But I knew that God had called us to, to come into the city, to relocate ourselves, to acquire, in a sense, a new identity, and to face new challenges and new undertakings. So I don't know where I got that from, but I started looking for a building. And I assure you that I, I, did, had, I had no idea how that money was going to come about. And I looked first for a building. I found a building uh, in Jamaica Plain that I thought it, it was a large building, lovely uh, amount of uh, space, acreage. It was a beautiful, beautiful space. And, uh, you know, it was going to cost probably over at least a million dollars or much more at that time. And, uh, you know, I started negotiations with the people. That did not work. But then God opened another door. And uh, it was that building that we first uh, obtained at 68 Northampton Street. And, uh, you know, I cannot tell you all the, the steps of that journey. But somehow, you know, it, 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 the doors opened. I was able to, you know, contact our denomination, secure a loan, started motivating our people to start giving um, aggressively, you know, to start changing our minds. I cannot tell you how small my faith was at that point and how inexperienced we were in journeys of that magnitude. But somehow, you know, once we had the building and uh, we put down a, a deposit just crazily, what, but once we had undertaken the first steps of faith, and the first one was simply beginning to move in the vision, in the declaration of God, and then trusting that somehow God was going to do it. And actually, the challenge turned out to be much greater than I ever thought. In my inexperience, I didn't know. I had no idea of how much, you know, that renovation process, total renovation, was going to involve. And how big were the obstacles uh, that the city uh, would, would uh, bring in our way in terms of all its demands of, you know, regulations and so on and so forth. It was a big, big undertaking. But, you know, incredibly... God enabled us to take one step after another. And the sea opened before us. And not only did we renovate one building, but we renovated another building. And then we built this one as well. Inconceivable, but God had made it possible because we started walking by faith. You see, this is, I've learned over and over again, and you've heard me say this before, don't trust your emotions. Don't trust the reality that is before you. Yes, think clearly and ask the Lord to illuminate you as you undertake your challenges, but don't let threats, don't let the, just the overwhelming nature of your obstacles 
and your challenges deter you from taking steps and even leaps of faith. When we move by faith, by throwing ourselves into the challenge that seems impossible to overcome, saying like Esther, if I perish, I perish. You know, God does extraordinary things. And I, I want to encourage you to move in that, that aggressive life of the Spirit. You know, to, to live life like that. Teach your children that in, in God, all things are possible. Teach your children that they can become great musicians, that they can become great professionals, that they can become powerful men and women who overcome even their own uh, challenges personally, their own defects of character, and so on and so forth. This is why I, I, I cannot live, you know, licking my wounds, thinking about what was done to me or whatever. That, that is totally contrary to the identity of a believer. You know, we, we have to live in, in, the, in the fact that with God, all things are possible. Let men do whatever they want. Let, let, let societies, <clears throat> let political systems fight against us. See if they are going to be able to overcome the power of God. Let a culture, let a people believe that they are chosen by God and that they have the power of God with them. And you will see those people rise above every, every defect, every obstacle, every offense, Every action of victimization. Don't live within the past. Live within this power of the resurrection. Teach your family to do that. This is what I hope for our church. That we will become that. Whether I'm Latino or African American or uh, overcoming addictions from drugs or, or I made a mess of my family in the past or, or I, I sort of hide myself like Lazarus and all kinds of addictions and, and failures and so on, I can be set free by the power of Jesus Christ. No human agency is going to do that for us, people. Let us teach our people to live in the power of the resurrection. Because it's not about who you are now in the flesh. It is about who you are in Jesus Christ. This is the last point that I, I want to make uh, this morning. You know, the, the, the power of the resurrection is not for those that are endowed or those that are sort of um, qualified, those who have had a nice, pristine childhood, who have had all the, the trappings and all the elements of success, you know, in their formation or their past. It's not for the endowed. It is for the faithful. It is for the diligent. It is for the courageous. You know, these women, they had no qualifications. As I said earlier, these were women in a, in a uh, male-dominated society. They had no education. They had no ordination papers. And do you think that that's a coincidence? That these are the, these are the, the, <clears throat> the individuals who, who are able to be witnesses to the, the first edition of the resurrection? Uh, as I said earlier, God is a master narrator. And he chooses everything very deliberate. Every detail of his narratives has meaning and purpose. So he chooses these women. Like he chose David. 
like he chose Anna and Simeon to be witnesses of uh, the, 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 the first public appearance, so to speak, of uh, the Messiah. Two old people with no qualifications. There they were to witness the fact that history had changed. That God had sent this miraculous being into history, into the world, to change everything. God always chooses. I mean, you, he, he loves outsiders. That's his favorite theme in Scripture. Jesus died outside of the walls. He disgraced himself by being put on a cross. And yet, you know, these women who just made an effort, when the men were cowering in their rooms and, and uh, they were intimidated... Uh, and, and overcome by a sense of failure. These women are, you know, machinating. They're, they're asking, how can, we, how can we do something for our Savior? How can we anoint Him? But, you know, at least they, they, they did that. They didn't have the insight to understand that He was risen, but at least they had the, the initiative to go and, you know, dress up their fallen master. And, you know, for God, that was enough. Many times, you know, all that God needs is a little gesture of faith on our part. No, don't, don't try to accomplish everything overnight. Make small gestures in your life. There's always something that you can do to, to stretch yourself to the next level. You know, some, sometimes I, 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 I am, how should I say, a, a bit discouraged when I, when I see God's people let themselves be intimidated by, by the smallest of things. They could, they could um, do something for the kingdom. They could pray. You know, Jesus asks uh, the in, unfaithful servant who took his, uh, his, uh, uh, his talent and put it under the bed and hid it because he was afraid. He, Jesus says to him, hey, come on, man. Couldn't you at least have put it in the bank to get, you know, 2% interest? But he was afraid. He was afraid that he would fail if he invested it. You know, there, there are things that, always that you can do to live in the power of the resurrection. Maybe you can't go and, you know, find a building to build a church. But uh, you can visit somebody who is sick. Maybe you can call someone who's alone in, in uh, an elderly person and hey, say, you know, I, I just, I was thinking about you. I wanted to pray with you or I wanted to take a, you know, a meal to you. Maybe you can witness to a uh, Work, fellow worker who needs you to tell him something, a word of encouragement, or hey, is there anything I can pray for you? You know, maybe you can just come to church and, and visit if the Lord gives you that freedom and, and be present. I always said with the ministry of presence, there are people who want to preach, who want to do great things for the Lord, but they can't even, uh, when they can, come to church and encourage their fellow believers by being present. They, you, can you can tithe, you can... Um, encourage a child there's all kinds of things that you can do there, there are, these are little moments little, little steps on the way to witnessing the risen Christ to see to confirming that the, store, the stone has indeed been rolled away you know you, you, you may not have the, the faith to go directly and, and to expect that the stone has been turned away But there are things that you can do in your life to lead, lead a, a life of courage. Think about that. Lord, what is it that you will have me do? How can I live in the power of the resurrection? 
How can I make small decisions every day in my life that will stretch me, stretch me, stretch me, so that then I can undertake great things for you? You live in the power of the resurrection. It doesn't matter whether you're qualified or not. God has made you competent. He has qualified you. He has made you a participant of all the wealth of heaven. You may not see it, but begin moving anyway. Because Jesus promises. He tells, he tells the women, I, I, will, I will be ahead. Tell them that uh, the master goes, or the angel says to them, tell them that Jesus will be ahead of them in Galilee as they witness why was Jesus there to, to affirm their witness to encourage them to defend them to prove that he had indeed risen you know we will leave in, in a moment this this uh, sacred space in a moment we will leave the, the, the concentrated presence of the Holy Spirit here and you will be walking out there tomorrow probably you will have to get back to Galilee You'll have to go back to your place of work. You will have to now wrestle with the kids in the uh, daycare center. And, uh, you know, you'll have, may have go back to school. You'll turn to a pumpkin again, so to speak, tomorrow morning. But no, you are not a pumpkin. You, you are gloriously endowed with the power of the resurrection. Remember that Jesus goes before you to Galilee. As you witness uh, to the Lord and the power of the resurrection, He is with you. Let's bow our head for a moment and um, just absorb, absorb the message. And I want to ask you, if you have not received Jesus Christ yet, okay, I don't know your status. I do know one thing, that the status that most matters for a, a human being is whether he is saved or not, whether he has or she has a relationship with Christ whether they have asked Christ, the risen one, to enter their lives. If you don't have that ID card, then you may be a billionaire. You, you don't make it. The only status that you need is the status of one who has been made a partaker of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ by inviting him into his or her life. And I ask you to put aside all the doubts and all the concerns of, you know, will I be able to make it or not? I want to wait until I see. I'm more, I'm more convinced. It, this is not about emotions. This is about a legal transaction between you and God where you sign on the dotted line and you say, yes, I believe that Jesus indeed is the Son of God. Even if you may have some element of unbelief inside of you, that may sound crazy and radical, but this is what the Bible tells me, that this is a legal transaction that you make with the Father and that then He begins to walk with you until that becomes something all-consuming, clear to you. So this morning, put aside your doubts and ask Jesus Christ to enter into your life. Would you confess Him right now? You might want to do it just where you are or by raising your hand or whatever it is, but I want to pray with you right now. Okay? And say with me, Jesus, I receive you 
I acknowledge you as my Lord and my Savior. I acknowledge you as the resurrected Christ. Say that with all the intention of your heart. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. You are my Lord and you are my Savior. And I ask you to enter into my life. I put my life in your hands. I acknowledge you. I confess my sins before you. I know that I have offended you, but I know also that you won righteousness for me in the cross. And so I will live in your righteousness. Come and enter into my life. Say that to him. Confess that to him. And then begin by faith to move in the power of the resurrection. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that anyone who has felt that tug of you, from you this morning, if they have not accepted you, if they have not received you, that this morning they will be impacted by the conviction of your reality. We confess you. We acknowledge you. We know that you are king. May all of us who leave this place this morning have accepted that and confessed that. And I, I, I invite you now to live in the light of that confession. I invite you to become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. That you accept the consequences of that. Begin faithfully attending church. Join the Christian community. Walk, give, serve, submit, obey, study, ask the Holy Spirit to enter into your life. And that reality of the resurrection will become ever more present in your life. So we thank you, Father, because we live in the power of the resurrection. We live in the reality of Jesus having risen from the grave and sitting at the right hand of the Father and coming again. Thank you for your resurrection. We worship and express our gratitude to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. I invite you to live in the power of that resurrection, in the power of this identity that you have in Jesus Christ this morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Let's go to Galilee and live accordingly. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more resources like this in our website, leondejuda.org, and in our social networks by searching for Congregación León de Judah. We look forward to being with you again. God bless you.